Thank you for checking out the messages of New Grace. We are a group of believers in Roanoke, Virginia, who are dedicated to loving God, loving others, and serving others. We hope that today's message is a blessing to you and your family. For the past five weeks, we have been looking at the subject of the Holy Spirit. We've been seeing who the Holy Spirit is and what this Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer and in the life of a church. And today we are going to come to the final message in this series, but I believe this is the most important message in this series. And we're going to look at what the Spirit does in the life of a believer, or more specifically, what a life lived in the Spirit looks like. So get your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, uh, the Apostle Paul, he spends a lot of time talking to the church at Galatia and showing them the difference between a life led by the flesh or a life led by yourself and a life controlled by the Spirit. So we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read verse number 1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Now, the word liberty there and the word free are the same Greek word. They're just in different tenses. Uh, liberty is a state of being verb, and free is an action verb. So this verse can literally be translated, and it's translated this way in a lot of different Bible translations. It can literally be translated, stand fast in the freedom that Christ has made you free to. As believers, we are free. We have been set free from certain things. Uh, the, Christ has saved us from something, and yes, Jesus saved us from hell. Jesus saved us from complete and total eternal separation from God. And if that's all he did, man, we would never be able to thank him enough over 10,000 years. But he did more than just save us from hell. He did more than just save us from the punishment of sin. He saved us from something else, but he also saved us to something. So what has Jesus Besides hell, besides death, besides the grave, besides eternal separation from God, which again, I'm not downplaying that. That's incredible. If that's all he saved us from, amen. But that's not all he saved us from. So what else has Jesus saved us from? What has he made us free from? Well, one thing he's made us free from is he has made us free from being our own God. Now, I know none of y'all sitting there would say that you think you're your own God. And none of you would say, I am God. None of you are, are that crazy. But a lot of people live as if they are God. And that includes a lot of Christians. They are their, they are their own authority. And they submit to no one but their own will, their own desires their own passions. We need to be saved from that because we make terrible gods. Look, I like all of you. You're special people. You're great people. But you're terrible, terrible gods. And so am I. 
I'm a horrible God. And you are a horrible God. When you are your own God, you put a yoke upon yourself, and, and, if we're, we're, uh, and, and you, you are never meant to bear that yoke. You are never meant to bear the burden of being your own God. When you're your own God, you have to figure out what leads to fulfillment by yourself. And let's, let's be honest, none of us are doing real good at that on our own. None of us are doing a great job finding fulfillment by ourselves. When you're not willing to submit to something bigger than you, when you're not willing to submit to something greater than you, something bigger than you, then you, you carry the weight of finding purpose and fulfillment and joy on your own. You end up chasing everything to find something that'll work. You run over here chasing sin or chasing sex or chasing pornography and that doesn't work. So you come over here and then maybe you're going to start chasing family and you're going to start chasing relationships and you're going to start chasing maybe even church attendance. But you're, you're chasing all these things to find fulfillment, to make you feel good, and you never find it. When you are your own God, you have to figure out suffering. And let's be honest, we're... We're all going to suffer. That's a fact of life. Loss, death, hardship, they touch every person's life. But without something greater, without something bigger to turn to and to seek answers from, you have to find out and understand what suffering is all about all by yourself. Without something greater than you to explain suffering, you have to deal with bitterness and frustration and resentment. There's a, a crushing weight that we have to deal with when we are our own gods. And Christ has freed us from that. He's freed us from the burden of trying to find of trying to find fulfillment and joy on our own. He's freed us from the burden of trying to figure out suffering on our own. He's freed us from the burden of being our own God. But he's also freed us from empty religion, or what I like to call fear-based behavioral modification. You know, empty religion, it's that moment when you, you decide that some religious practice, some, some ritual you do, some checklist that you check off, that something that you do, some, some formula you follow is going to give you right standing before God. And we all want to be on good terms with God because you know that one day you're going to die and one day you're going to face him and you want to be prepared for that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with being prepared for death and facing God, but preparing through religion is the wrong way to do it. So we have to ask ourselves, what's motivating our behavior? What's motivating why we do what we do? What motivates you to read your Bible? What motivates you to pray? 
What motivates you to try to live a moral life? What motivates you to, on a Sunday morning, when really no one will know any better, you decide to tune in to Facebook and listen to some guy preach at you for 45 minutes? What motivates you to do that? Is it fear of what Jesus will think about you? You know that one day you're going to face God and you want to be able to point back and say, Lord, look what I did. I went to church every Sunday. I even tuned in on Facebook when we didn't have church in, in person. I gave money to the church. I helped out the community covered. I read my Bible. Lord, I did all the good stuff. My neighbor didn't do that. And so since they didn't do that and I did do that, then I must be better in your eyes than they are. Lord, I've done everything right. I'm better than other people, so I deserve mercy. No, you don't. Because if you deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. None of us deserve mercy. Because none of us can earn it. Jesus has set us free from that by doing for us what we could never do. We couldn't live good enough for God. We were all born sinners, enemies of God, falling short of His glory with no chance of doing anything to change that. So Jesus did it for us. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He completely fulfilled the law. He died for us because we were condemned to death and separation from God. So he hung on the cross and he had God pour out the wrath for everyone's sin on him. And he died in our place and he was buried for us. And he rose again three days later to redeem us to God the Father. We've been set free from the penalty of death. We've been set free from the grave. We've been set free from hell through Jesus and what he did for us, not what we can do. Because we can never do it. Religion, fear-based behavior modification says you got to work real hard. Even if you don't believe that for salvation, too many believers, they understand that salvation is a, is a gift of God. It's by grace through faith. But then they live their life like, well, God saved me, but i gotta, I got to live this certain way to make him happy and make sure he doesn't rain down fire and judgment upon me and make sure that I'm in good standing with him no matter what goes through my life. We've been set free from being our own God and we've been set free from the bonds of religion. But we've also been set free to something. I am saved from being my own God and saved to resting under the one true God. See, I don't have to figure out the purpose for my life. I don't have to figure out what suffering is because I rest under the sovereignty of God and His plan. I've been set free to gladly submit to the one true God. I don't have to chase everything that comes along. I just have to follow Him. 
I've been set free from fear-based behavioral modification. And I've been set free to love-based transformation. See, those two things, they're as different as night and day. Yes, both of them involve change. When you are changing your behavior out of fear, yes, your behavior changes. When you are being transformed because of love, yes, your behavior changes. The, the results are the same, but the motives are different. Changing out of fear will bring no joy. Changing out of fear doesn't bring real change. You can change the outside all you want to, but the inside stays the same. Fear-based behavioral modification doesn't change you. It changes how you look. It changes what you do. It changes how you act. Love-based transformation changes the inside. And when the inside is changed, the outside follows. See, changing out of love, it brings two true joy and lasting change. It's the same with every relationship. You know, I help out a lot around the house. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll do laundry. I'll do dishes. I'll cook dinner. You know, I, I, you know, there are things I do that April, I do the yard, but I'll also help out inside. And so, you know, I, I do a lot to help out around the house, but I'm not doing it because I'm afraid that if I don't, April's going to snap and start throwing things. I do it out of love. If I do it because I'm afraid she's going to beat me, then I'm doing it out of fear and it doesn't bring any joy. But if I help out because I love her and I want to help her and I want to show kindness to her, then that brings me joy and that brings lasting change. Love as a motive makes every action joyful. I don't like doing dishes, but doing it isn't begrudging when I do it out of love. It becomes a delight. So let's finish the verse. Galatians 5.1 says, again, stand therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He, he tells us this. He says, stand in the freedom that Jesus has made you free to and don't slip back into your old habits. Don't slip back into slavery. And he tells us this because we have a tendency to drift. We have a tendency to slide back into our old habits. We have a tendency to, to go back to what we were saved from. We slide toward legalism. We slide back into fear-based worship. We slide back into the law. We slide back into putting ourselves under the law. We don't believe that we are, and we do that because we don't believe we're fully forgiven. We don't believe that God delights in us and truly loves us, so we work to make him delight in us and to make him forgive us, and to make him truly love us. We, we slide back into trying to earn what was freely given through the gospel. Or we slide away from God. We begin to doubt that God is for our freedom. We begin to doubt 
that he is actually for our joy. We begin to doubt that he is good and that he does good. We begin to think that his commands are too restrictive and too harsh. And it, it doesn't take a heart long that is being led by the flesh to make itself righteous and God evil. So Paul says, stand firm in your freedom. So how do we, how do we stand firm? How do we stand firm in the freedom that God has given us through the gospel, and we have with the Holy Spirit. Well, we never move away from the gospel. Never get tired of the gospel. Constantly remember what Jesus had to endure because he loved you. The suffering, the beating, the scourging, the shed blood, the resurrection. Never get away from the miracle of the resurrection. Meditate on it. Think about it. Preach it to yourself over and over and over because the gospel declares that there is a just judge in the universe and he loves us and he declares us holy and spotless and righteous through Christ. The gospel tells us we have a heavenly father that gives us the Holy Spirit that he forgives us, and that he loves us. And when we, when we meditate on those things, we don't move away from them. They become the force that moves transformation. They become the force that moves us to want to change, to honor God. But let's keep reading Galatians. Look down at verse number 2. Galatians 5, 2. says, Behold... I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by law. Here's what Paul's saying the law profits us nothing. External actions don't matter to God if the motivation is wrong. You can live morally, you can live uprightly, you can follow all the laws. You can follow all the commandments and you can still be seen as filthy by God if, if your motivation is fear instead of love. It's not about what we're doing. It's about what motivates us. If you're motivated by fear, you've got the wrong motives. If you're motivated by love, it's because you understand how much God loves you. So how do we figure out our motives? Because it's something we need to do, not just once or twice. we got to constantly do it. You know, there's sometimes I look at my life and I think, man, my motives are pure. My motives are right. I just want to please God. I just want to love God. I just want to do what God wants me to do. And then I'll look back later, maybe even years later, and say, man, my motives were terrible. My motives are wrong. 
I wasn't doing that for God. I was doing that for me. So we have to determine how our motives, what our motives are. And he tells us how to do that in Galatians chapter 5, starting verse number 13. For brethren, if you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. See, Paul says you can, you can tell what your, what your motives are on why you're doing what you're doing, why you're going to church, why you're being faithful to God. Why, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you living your life like you are? You can tell what your motives are by how we view each other, by how we treat people in the church. See, a heart motivated by fear it views other believers as competition for the affection of the Father. If I'm motivated by fear, and I think you're doing better spiritually than me, then you are a threat to me. Because you're doing better spiritually, so God loves you more, so I have to do better so that God loves me more than he loves you. And if I can't do better than you spiritually, then I, I might not get as many blessings from God as you get. And so I end up being frustrated by other people's spiritual growth. And I rejoice when other people fail. I end up being frustrated by what's happening with other people. You know, people that really, when, you, when you're motivated by fear, people that really love Jesus bother you. And you find joy when they're taken down a notch or two. You ever been there? You ever had somebody that just, they're, they're, they, didn't, they weren't bad people, they're just, their love for God kind of irritated you. Something happened, maybe they got into some sort of sin, or maybe they got revealed they weren't what, as good as, they thought they, as everyone thought they were. And so you didn't, you didn't publicly say hallelujah, but inside you thought, I always knew they weren't what they thought they were. That's because you're motivated by fear. But when you're motivated by love, you celebrate with other people as they grow spiritually. You mourn when they fail. You grieve when they fall. You take no delight in their struggles, but you pray for them. You encourage them, and you push them towards holiness, and you push them towards God. We can tell what motivates our heart by whether or not we serve our brothers and sisters in Christ or whether or not we think we're better than them. If you think you are one of the best Christians in this church, it's because you're motivated by fear and you have to keep yourself up on that level. But if you look at everybody and say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just as wicked and, and, and sinful as everybody else and I just want to help them and encourage them and love them, then you're motivated by love. Look at Galatians chapter number 5 again. Look at verse number 16. It says, This I say then, and here's where we're going to get into the, the spirit and the flesh. And this I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary 
the one to another so that they cannot do the things that you would. See, in every child of God, there are two competing forces. There's the, the Spirit of God, and there's the flesh. And they are constantly at war with each other. Your relationship with God has a linear progression throughout your life. It begins at salvation, when the Spirit of God comes in and you're, you're saved by grace through faith. You accept Christ as your Savior. For his, you accept His death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sin. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit moves inside of you. And it, it continues where it moves to a point where you have Christ-like perfection. Where you, you don't struggle with sin anymore. You don't struggle with, with, with problems anymore. You're not, you're not tempted anymore. You're not struggling with anything anymore. You are sinless and perfect like Christ. No more sin, no more struggles, no more shortcomings. And by the way, when you are here, you are not breathing oxygen. You're seeing Jesus Christ face to face. You will not be here until you're dead and in heaven. So from the point of salvation unto the point of death, you're going to be struggling and you're going to have sin, but you're supposed to be growing in Christ. So from salvation to death in heaven and sinless perfection, you're going to struggle. And you're not going to be sinless. But it is something that the Holy Spirit is going to move you towards in your life. The Holy Spirit from salvation until we get to heaven moves in our life and works in our life to bring about Christ likeness in our life. And the space between perfect in glory and, and where you are now, what we struggle with is the flesh. It's the old man. It's the area of your heart that still desire the things that are not of God. And it's a war inside every believer. The spirit versus the flesh. And it's, it's happening in you right now. Until you reach glory, there's going to be a battle inside you between the Holy Spirit of God and the flesh you were born with. The spirit points you to Jesus. And the flesh whispers doubts and fears to you that points you back to you being God. Now, there are seasons where it's just like little skirmishes, where it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. And then there are times where you recognize the flesh for what it is. It's a, it's a traitor. And there are times where it's all-out war, and it's exhausting for a time. Now, it isn't, it's, it isn't always hard, but it can be hard. The reason it can be so hard is because the spirit and the flesh both promise you the same thing. But only the spirit can deliver. They both promise freedom. They both promise joy. They both promise fulfillment. But one is a mirage and one gives you living water. One is true and sustaining, and one gives you sand. So Paul says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a, that's a huge promise that God gives us. 
We want to stop fulfilling the lust of the flesh. All we got to do is walk in the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, then we, we don't walk towards that mirage, and we walk towards freedom. Let's keep going. Look at verse number 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. So we've got walk in the Spirit, and now we've got to be led in the Spirit. So not only are we walking with the Spirit, but we are being led by the Spirit. If you are following the leading of the Holy Spirit, then you will not be under the law. Because the law is external. And it exposes the internal truth of our heart. The Spirit does a work internally. It's a work of illumination. It shows us what is going on inside of us. Let me explain it to you a little bit better. People point to their actions and say, that's an, that's an ugly action. I need to change that action. Maybe they, they struggle with pornography or they struggle with lust or they struggle with anger. So they look at that action and say, that's an ugly action. I need to change that action. No, that's not the case. Yes, that's an ugly action. But the problem isn't the action. The problem is you're ugly. You're sinful. You're wicked. We don't want to admit that, though. See, we like to say, I lie, but I'm not a liar. I have an anger problem. I have a pornography problem. I have a greed problem. I have a gossip problem. But it's, it's just a little issue that I can handle and I can take up. And so we, we pick up an external action and we try to work on it and we end up with more problems. We pick up the lying. So I'm going to work on lying. We pick up the lust. I'm going to work on the lust. We pick up the anger. I'm going to work on the anger. And we try to work on these individual problems, and the problems just get worse and worse and worse. You don't need to work on your external problems. You need to work on your heart because it's your heart that led you to that action. And the work of the Spirit isn't pointing you to bad external actions. It is pointing you to the heart that led to those actions. So Paul, we're going to look at the rest of the verse here, but Paul, he, he shows us what living by being led by the Spirit and living in the flesh looks like. He, he shows us what the difference between living in the flesh and living in the Spirit are and, and where we are going to find our, our, the ability and the focus to change. So look again in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse number 19. <clears throat> Now the works of the flesh are the are, are the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these: adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like, of which. I tell you before, as I have told you also in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So I want to look at a few different things this morning. First thing I want to look at is what are the works of the flesh? 
Instead of going through them one by one, because he listed a lot of them, and we've used a lot of time already. I don't want to spend time going through each one and saying, well, this is what this means, this is what this means. We're, we're going to put them in categories, because Paul puts them in categories. He puts them in five categories about how the works of the flesh are seen in our lives. The first category he gives us is sexual sin. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest or are seen, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Now, this is seen in verse number 19, and we're, we're going to talk about this in a minute. But first of all, sex isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. God created it. He made it something to be celebrated. He made it something to be rejoiced in. He made it something to be participated in. But we broke it. God made it beautiful and, 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 and wonderful and incredible, but we broke it. The world tells us that true intimacy, true joy, true fulfillment comes from sex so we run around trying to find it anywhere we can. And that's a lie. Sex was given by God to be enjoyed in the confines of a relationship between a committed man and a committed woman. It's a relationship where the man says, I'm yours and you are mine, and this is a covenant before God, and I am committing to you through the good times and the bad times, no matter what. It's a relationship where the woman says, I'm going to respect and honor you, and you only as long as I live. This is a, a covenant commitment before God that I am yours and you are mine until death do us part. In that type of relationship, you have the opportunity for true joy, for true fulfillment, for true intimacy. That's where it comes from. That's where you have the chance at true friendship and true togetherness. The world will never be able to deliver that. The world promises it, but it never delivers. The first works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, and Christ has freed us from that. And we see it in all kinds of ways. We see it in pornography. see it in adultery. see it in sex before marriage. And all kinds of things we see this sexual immorality playing out. But God says that is a work of the flesh. And Christ has freed you from that. So stand firm in your freedom. Another work of the flesh, another category is religion. Look at verse number 20 again. He, goes, he says idolatry and witchcraft. Now, I don't believe that we have a bunch of witches running around at New Grace. We could, and I might be mistaken, but I don't think there's any witches or warlocks here who are, you know, double, double, toil and trouble. And that's not really what, what Paul is talking about here. This, what Paul means here when he talks about idolatry and witchcraft, it is setting something up as God that isn't God. It is trying to copy the works of the Spirit to the works of the flesh. That's where religion comes in. Religion tries to manufacture the work of God. It tries to put the work of God into a checklist where you do A, B, and C, and once you do A, B, and C perfectly, then the result is what God wants to happen. And that's, that's what Christ said, I have freed you from that. 
So stand firm in your freedom. Next category he gives us is the attitudes of the flesh. That's again in verse 20. Hatred, variance, emulations. Emulations, it means hostility or strife or jealousy. Hatred is when things go wrong and you feel yourself getting hostile at people for no reason. No one's, no one's hurt you, but just you're having a bad day. Your tire went flat. You were late for work. Something bad happened. Your mother-in-law moved in. Who knows what happened? But just something happened. You're having a bad day, and you just, you're just mad at people. You ever been there? I know you have, because I have. Where you, don't, you can't really put your finger on it. It's not like, well, he did that, and that's what happened. That's what made me mad. It's just like, I'm just, I'm just mad. I don't know why, but I'm just, I'm just mad. That leads to strife and antagonism, where you pick problems with people just for the sake of doing it, and then it can lead to jealousy because they're not feeling as bad as you are, and you're mad someone else isn't just having a bad day. That's the attitudes of the flesh, and that's, that's, that's the, the work of the flesh. And then we see the fourth category, the results of the flesh. Now, the attitudes of the flesh, and then the results of the flesh. Look at verse 20 and 21. What are the results of the flesh? Well, he lists them. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders. You know, when we, when we walk in the flesh, that's the result. You say, well, I'm not going to murder anyone just because I get mad. Remember what Jesus said? If you have anger towards your brother, you've already, you've already murdered him. So when you get angry at someone, you may not go out and physically murder them. But Jesus said it's, it's the same thing. And that's the result of the flesh. You can, you can put this in any environment. Put it in your family. You know, someone in your family is, is hostile. They're ill-willed. They're antagonistic. It's probably a teenager, but that messes up the whole family. One person living in the flesh and being antagonistic and picking fights and being rude and being mean to everyone, it affects the entire family. Put it in the church. How many people have heard about churches who split over stupid reasons like the color of the carpet? It's not the carpet. It's someone was living in the flesh. You know, we can, we can disagree with grace if we're being led by the Spirit. So we have the results of the flesh. And then the fifth, fifth category he gives us is a category of addictions. Look at verse number 21. It says, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. Now, reveling and drunkenness, they are really tied together in the Greek language. And here's what it means. It is giving yourself over to something besides God and using that something to find peace and joy and happiness, and it doesn't work. And it could, it could be anything. I know we like to focus, it's drunkenness, don't drink. That's not what he's saying. It's anything that you allow to control your life and you run to for joy and fulfillment. It could be food. Look, I'm preaching to myself here. How many of you, when you get upset or you're, 
You just, you just you eat out of anxiety. You eat out of fear. I know I did several weeks ago something, you know, me and April got some bad news. We, had a tr we were going through a trial, and I had to go to the store, and I picked up a half a dozen donuts and ate a half a dozen donuts on the way home. Why? Because I eat my feelings. I eat my anxiety. And so it can, it can be food. It could be, it could be exercise. You know, some people get addicted to exercise. They got to do it all the time because it, and it is good for you. It releases endorphins. I just would remind you what Paul said, bodily exercise profit a little. And you know what Proverbs says, the, the, the wicked run when no man pursueth. So don't jog, you don't exercise. But some people, that's, their, that's, their, that's where they find security. That's where they find fulfillment. They get, they, life gets tough, they, they run to exercise. It can be a relationship. It can be alcohol. It can be anything that you use to get a release of joy and peace, even if for a moment. Because if it's a work of the flesh, it's always just for a moment. That's the works of the flesh. And secondly, let's look at what is the fruit of the Spirit. Look again at Galatians 5, look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, I want you to look at that again. But the fruit of the Spirit. Is that, is, is that word fruit, is it singular or plural? I'll, I'll wait for you to answer. It's, it's singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And look at verse 19 again. Now, the works of the flesh are these. So it's works plural, of the flesh, fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Now, that's important. Say, why is that important? Because if it's plural, then you can pick and choose which ones you have and which ones you need to work on. You can say, well, I'm, I'm good at, at joy, I'm good at peace, but I, I kind of stink at long-suffering and faith, and so I'm going to work on them. It doesn't work that way. What Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit works in us and transforms us completely when we are motivated by love. The, the fruit that he listed, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, those all grow together. See, you can't grow in love and not grow in patience because love and patience are tied together. You can't grow in joy and not grow in faith because joy and faith are tied together. They're connected. And so as we walk with the Spirit, as we are led by the Spirit and we, we crucify the flesh, these things grow in us at the same time. Now let's look at one more passage in closing. Look at Galatians 5.25. It says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So in this chapter here, Paul has told us three things about what it means to live a life led in the Spirit. He says we are to walk in the Spirit, we are to be led by the Spirit, and we are to live in the Spirit. And by doing those things, by walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and living in the Spirit, we will not gratify the flesh that's inside of us constantly battling with the Spirit. We don't walk into the law. 
we begin to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit instead of the works of the flesh. This leads us, Paul says, to seeing ourselves and to seeing each other in a loving, biblical way. Now, how do you walk with the Spirit? How do you keep in step with the Spirit? Your faith has to be more than just a private thing. See, our culture has grown very hostile to the things of God. The culture doesn't mind you being religious. They don't mind you being a person of faith. They don't mind you being a Christian as long as you keep it to yourself. As long as you don't let it leave your house or leave the church. As long as it stays behind closed doors and it doesn't affect every other area of your life, then they are fine with it. Be a Christian, but keep it out of the workplace. Keep it out of the, your relationships. Keep it out of your neighborhood. Keep it out of your hobbies. And we, as believers, have bought into that. We've allowed them to put that on us. And so what we've done is we've compartment our lives where God and the Holy Spirit, they get one hour a week on Sunday morning. Maybe if we're really good Christians, they'll get another hour and a half during the week for growth group. But God's here, but he can't touch anything else. Your faith ends up having no bearing on your life. No bearing on what you think or how you see things or, or what you do with your life. See, the problem is too many of you, you are great church members, but you're terrible Christians. You're great members of the church, but you're horrible followers of Jesus. Walking with the Spirit isn't something you can only do on Sunday morning or throughout the week at Growth Group. It is a constant daily activity of constantly walking in the Spirit, constantly being led by the Spirit, constantly living in the Spirit, constantly crucifying that flesh and following God instead of following your own personal desires. Being led by the Spirit, following the Spirit, and living in the Spirit, it isn't something that you can limit to a little time every day, every week. It is a constant activity. So how do we do that? Well, you do it by plugging into a family of faith. You do it by getting involved more than just coming to church on Sunday morning, but by getting involved in a local church, not just attending, but actually being a part, allowing people in the church to get to know you. And I know that that's scary for a lot of us because we know if people really get to know us, they're going to see how, how bad we really are. And we don't want people to see how bad we really are. But hey, let me let you in on a little secret. They're bad too. You think you're bad? They're terrible. You think you're bad? You should see me. We're all bad. We're all broken. We're all a mess. And we walk in the Spirit and we live in the Spirit and we're led by the Spirit as we come together as a bunch of broken messes trying to help each other, trying to encourage each other, and trying to follow the Lord together. You have to actually use the gifts that God has given you to build His kingdom and His church and the believers in His church. See, we need each other. The church 
was given to believers to help us chisel away what is of the flesh and what is of the spirit in our lives. When we meet together, we meet to do more than just sing a few songs and hear a sermon. We meet to strengthen each other. We meet to challenge each other. We meet to encourage each other. Hearing the word of God is needed, but fellowship with God's children is much more needed because that's where the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works more powerfully in a community of believers than he does anywhere else, especially with someone who's alone. You need to let people in enough to, to be more than just, to let them see that you're more than just a good person. You need to let them in far enough so that you can be a good Christian. In the life of a community of faith, the Spirit is at work among God's people, illuminating areas of their life to reveal where what is being motivated by fear and what is being motivated by love. And when other believers can speak into our lives and can encourage us and can show us, hey, here's an area that you're not motivated by love, you're being motivated by fear, it leads to repentance, it leads to sanctification, and it leads to the death of our flesh as we start to get closer to that promised perfection that we'll have in glory. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Christ has freed us from slavery. Slavery to, from being our own God. Slavery of fear-based religion. He has saved us to himself, and he has saved us to love-based transformation. And it is seen in the works of the flesh or the works of the Spirit. So as we close this morning, I have to ask you, What's your motivation? Are you motiva motivated by love for God and His church? Or are you motivated by fear of God and you have to be better than everybody else? Thank you for listening to this message from Your Grace. Our church is growing and our